inspired by Cuban ideals. They are puppets and agents of an international conspiracy which has turned Cuba against your friends and neighbors in the Americas and turned it into the first Latin American country to become a target for nuclear war. The first Latin American country to have these weapons on its soil. These new weapons are not in your interest. They contribute nothing to your peace and well-being. They can only undermine it. But this country has no wish to cause you to suffer or to impose any system upon you. We know that your lives and land are being used as pawns by those who deny your freedom. Many times in the past, the Cuban people have risen to throw out tyrants who destroyed their liberty. And I have no doubt that most Cubans today look forward to the time when they will be truly free. My father was a rambunctious child and he was in front of his neighborhood one day just singing songs about against the country, anti-Castro, against Cuba, and a soldier grabbed him in front of everyone. And and so, obviously, the last episode, we're talking about my family and from Cuba and what, what kind of life they kind of had growing up. And during this episode, the three of them are going to talk about their different experiences at, at a yacht club that they all went to. And they all had different experiences coming in. Miriam kind of more of a socializing experience at the Yacht Club, describing what she did and all the different environment. goes into a little bit about people knowing each other and about having it being a community and, you know, just being very homogenous. Well, a typical weekend, a typical summer was going, we belonged to a, uh, a private club, the country club, which is not exactly like the country club here. It was a type of place where people socialized, but there were all kinds of activities there. I mean, from swimming to dancing to uh, card playing. I mean, you know, it was a whole, I mean, sailing, rowing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, swimming, uh, swimming classes. I mean, it was, it was everything. So a lot, a lot of our lives uh, socially were concentrated around this country club. On the other side, my father, he, he kind of created a little bit more havoc in the country club. He, he he describes how he threw bowling balls in the ocean and how all all his memories are being made there, right, with his friends and, you know, with his two sisters just running around doing what kids do, basically molding who he is a, a, as a man he is today. And he describes a little bit more. It was his community experiences of life in Cuba and uh, nothing really different than, than, than what we do today, right? They'd take the bowling balls and I was bo- rolling them into the ocean. From the beach? Yeah. And what happened? They came after me, but they couldn't catch me. So you started running around, they couldn't catch you. Oh, they couldn't catch you because I, I, I climbed up the trees and everything else. My father was a rambunctious child, and he was in front of his neighborhood one day just singing songs about against the country, anti-Castro, against Cuba, and a soldier grabbed him in front of everyone. And no, whatever. And so that's why there, um, was, a, there was a soldier on the house. Huh? You, you take up everything, and you, and you start singing songs against Castro, and this and that. What was there, was there anything they that you would, were doing? Oh, yeah. And then they would call uh, 
you know, some of the people in the neighborhood would call my father up and say, oh, says, you know, Eddie was running around here singing. He had to tell him to calm down. You know what well, I mean? In other words, because... Well, well, what were you singing? Ah, the hell do I know, you know. They had all kinds of uh, being a kid. Little, so- little songs against Castro and all that. I can I remember one day being out in the street and a freaking soldier came, you know, he grabbed me. Yeah. And I think it was because of that and this and that. And um, he didn't let me go until the people, you know, like a few of the people in the neighborhood were out. And, you know, and they 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 confronted him and asked him what the hell was going on. Why, why are you, you know, grabbing me and all that? Miriam goes into a little bit more detail about the school. She describes about the nuns, about who the teachers are, and the actual curriculum that was based within the schooling system. Kind of goes into about English and Spanish being split, and she obviously she had the she's the oldest, and she she talks about how the high um she talks about how the high school system and how her grades were so good for coming into the U.S. that it was when she came in for her senior year that her, her credits were enough from Cuba to, to already graduate high school. So, but wherever you went, I mean, if you, and I went to an all-girls school, so very homogeneous. Mm-hmm. No diversity. <laughs> <laughs> no diversity. That did yeah. not exist. But Tessie was saying that she went, I don't know if, you, if it was the same school or not, but she went to a like a semi quasi boarding school. And cause some well, of the, yeah, many of many of these were boarding schools too. My school was boarding. It was. Yeah. yeah. Did you have any friends that were not Cuban? No. No. As a matter of fact, I did not have any friends that were not Catholic. Oh really? Oh yeah, that's really. <laughs> No, no uh, friends that were Catholic, no friends that were black, uh, or any other ethnic. So, where were we? <laughs> um, what it? What, no, it's not, just like growing up, like what what it meant to be Cuban, like in your life. Oh like, well, what, what? I was telling you, yeah, I was telling you that every Friday in my school, my school, nobody else, mm-hmm. my school was uh, was uh, a non from the Ursuline order, and they were Americans. So every Friday, we had a civic ceremony, every Friday. And every Friday, we would do the Pledge of Allegiance to Cuba, we would sing the Cuban um, hymn, and we would also sing God Bless America, every Friday. Why God so bless America? Every time I hear God bless America, I remember my school. <laughs> I wow. Every because my oh. school was American. It was Catholic right. American. Right. So oh, this was the American. I mean, um, my the nuns, the nuns that I, you know, that I, uh, that my school belonged to, it had a Spanish. Uh, school and an American school. We went to the American school with a uniform and everything was, Amer- uh, was English. I mean, it was Spanish. I'm sorry. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. And- so, so when we did our 
you know, when we did our our schooling, you know, um, um, we would we would do different subjects in different languages. Like for example, science was in English. Uh-huh. Um, math was in English, and then remember- we had English. We had English literature. We had um, grammar, you know, all of that. And then in Spanish, we would have the same thing, not science and math, but we would have, you know, grammar, literature, history, um, history, history of Cuba, history. Yeah. That, that would be in the Spanish part, the history right. of Cuba. Then in the English, we would have history of the United States. And then... As you you know, as you went forward, we would have history of of the Americas, like South America. Right. Also, you know, plus the language. So I took Latin, I took French. I mean, all this was all this was part of my curriculum. Right, but English was the main draw. They English was well English English only because we did things in English in the morning. Right. You know. So, oh, I mean, you, we were could, reading, you know, Tales of Two Cities, for example, in English. Right. Oh, wow. The education was so good. It didn't matter whether you did it in English or in Spanish, that when people, you know, when students graduated, I mean, and if they were good students, it was equivalent to a two-year college here. Wow. That's how, you know, and, and in a way, it was very diverse. I mean... When I lived there and I thought of what I wanted to be, I already knew what I was going to go to a private university. Mm-hmm. Villanova was the name of it. And I, I I was undecided whether I would study psychology or if I would study languages. That even though I went to high school, you know, and I took chemistry and I kept on going with algebra, advanced algebra and all that. When I got to Rhode Island, I got to Rhode Island in my senior year, uh, just three months from graduation, mm-hmm. and and I had so many credits that they didn't even care that it was just three months from graduation because, I mean, I could graduate. Right. So, so they graduated me. Okay. So my father wanted me to do the high school in English. I mean, this is when we were not thinking of leaving Cuba, of course. Right. So he wanted me to do the high school in English and also be able to enter the bachillerato if I, cho- if I so chose to do it. Yeah. And, and so the only way I could do it is by taking this exam. So he prepared me that summer you so, that I could take, so that I could take the exam. Uh, and this and, was the education in Cuba. Yeah, totally different. That's totally what I mean. Different. That's... Totally different, but you came very, and you know, and when you think about it, most of the people that were educated in that system have done very well here. My grandfather worked a lot to keep up with the lifestyle that they had within the yacht club, having maids in the house and cooking and going out to eat going downtown so uh, there was a lot of pressure on him and just the socializing 
is a huge aspect to Cuban culture and what's going on, especially at that time period. And it was a lot of burden. It was during those times the the mother or the wife stayed at home and took care of the kids. And so something that I didn't know is that when, when I was talking with my father and my two aunts about this is that my grandfather worked a lot and they rarely saw him while growing up. You know, whatever time they went to bed and was studying. And so, I mean, this is the 50s and early 60s and, you know, how father figures were just very stern, very serious and not not very comforting and not around and just doing what dads did at the time. And I mean, I was shocked because while growing up, you know, a Lalo this and a Lalo that and just talking about the family being together. And so it was kind of shocking to uh, to hear the stories about you know, I didn't really know my father when I was in Cuba, like early teenage years and, you know, during childhood. Which is surprising because it, to to compare to my to my childhood or just with my father being around and my mother being around as well, it's just total opposite because it, they really wanted to be in our lives. And I'm not saying that my grandfather didn't want to be in their lives, but he was tutoring on the side. He had his main job at the hospital, and they were telling me how different students are coming in and out of the house. He was going to other students' housing and just. You know, and ju- just trying to make the trying to make the the life work, trying to make the the lifestyle be that much better. And so, when I was growing up, you know, I never thought about who my father was and who my mother was, and just you know, just kind of lived life a little bit. You know, I didn't really think about my my community. I didn't really think about growing up in Rhode Island with accents and the relationship with different family members. So it's a little bit difficult to, you know, to ask my, my father, my aunts these questions because you don't think of these things when, you know, when you're young. You don't, you don't think of these things, you know, a lot of people don't think of these things when they're older either. You know, but, um, you know, it's good to flash back from time to time and, you know, think of the things that molded you and, you know, made you become the person that you are today. Thanks for listening to episode two from Cuba to Neverland. This is Jim Salibert, and next week we're going to be getting into episode three of The Escape of Cuba. Therefore, propaganda is vastly more important in democratic societies. In recognizing a communist, physical appearance counts for nothing. If he openly declares himself to be a communist, we take his word for it. If a person consistently reads and advocates the views expressed in a communist publication, he may be a communist. If a person supports organizations which reflect communist teachings or organizations labeled communist by the Department of Justice, she may be a communist. If a person defends the activities of communist nations while consistently attacking the domestic and foreign policy of the United States, she may be a communist. If a person does all these things over a period of time, he must be a communist. But there are other communists who don't show their real faces, who work more silently.
Llego a Puerto y para Mayarí. 